Welcome to Shortcut to Sunday. I'm Ben. And I'm Bruce. And this is your podcast for November 1st, 2020. Not only, Bruce, is it proper 26, but it is also All Saints Day. So how are you doing? I'm doing fine. I, I, you stepped on my joke. I was going to say we're going to be improper and use the lessons for All Saints Day. <laughs> but now I can't. I can't say that. <laughs> well, and yet you still did. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we are coming to you not live on behalf of Holy Family Episcopal Church in Fishers, Indiana. And uh, and yeah, so there's, there's, a, there, there's a couple of little options here uh, for uh, this November 1st Sunday. Um, and, uh, we go, we're, we're definitely going all, the All Saints Day route, which I would imagine probably most, uh, churches would, would, would uh, most congregations will probably go this route as well. Yeah, si- since the feast day is falling actually on the it, Sunday, that literally that falls on to, that Sunday. Yeah. 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 We're not moving it, or as we say in church work, we're not translating it to another day. Right. Right, right. Uh, yeah, because I think last year it was like one day off, and so there was a lot of a little bit more hit or miss as to whether right. or not um, this congregation was going to have a special All, All Saints Day service, or if they were going to wrap it into a Sunday morning service. There's a lot of options that way. When it falls on the actual day, you gotta do it. I mean, um, <laughs> right? That that's one way of explaining a canon. Yeah, you gotta yeah, do it. You gotta, you gotta do it. But yeah, um, that's the that's the instruction in the prayer book, which has the force of canon, as they used to teach us in seminary. So, it, which is which is kind of a bummer because um, there there's some good readings uh, uh, in the lectionary for proper twenty six. Uh, we get into Micah. Um, oh. there, there's a there's a a, a Joshua um, optional uh, or a Micah optional. Um, Two good ones, right? Uh, we continue with First Thess- Thessalonians. Uh, that one's that one, we can. Miss I think we'll one. be able to pick up the plot line on that. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> um, and then we get we get like their our our what fourth fifth uh, example of uh, Pharisees and scribes and Pharisees testing kind of deal. Um, uh, or at least I shouldn't say testing more of a reference, uh, to, he's still dealing with the, uh, uh-huh. the, the church leadership there. Uh, so a kind of a continuation in that story, but instead, um, uh, we do, uh, uh, the, the all saints readings, which are, which are obviously, uh, kind of a departure from, um, the standard lectionary readings that we have been doing. Cause we've kind of been going along in Matthew and we've been going, We've been picking Pauline letters and kind of uh, going through not, them and yeah, going kind of through chapter the after order. chapter. Yeah, um, so so it does. It, it, it in a weird way, it feels like kind of like a left hook here because uh, uh, it, it's not it's not tonally the same. But you know what, All Saints Day is is intentionally tonally different. So yeah, um, it's uh, one it, of the major feast days of the church does. here. It does. But before we get into uh, those readings. Uh, Bruce, I have a word for you today that you will definitely have an answer for, but I found it interesting, uh, because there's, uh, it's a term that we use regularly. I, I wouldn't say regularly, but often enough that I think everybody will have something that pops into their mind as to what it means. And it really does have a church background for it. And so your word today is nonconformists. Oh, Okay. Okay, 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 okay. Um, the reason I'm pausing is I had this on so many exams in seminary uh, 
<laughs> and I often flip the meaning between the conformists and the nonconformists. So I have a 50-50 chance. Yes. Uh, <laughs> the nonconformists, I th uh, well, just got to guess something. One of the two. Nonconformists were the ones who were not happy with the prayer book revisions of the 14-1500s and consequently um, were more Protestant than the rest of the Church of England slash um, Church of England in the United States, which eventually became the Episcopal Church, and um, were one of those um, forces within the Episcopal slash Anglican tradition that, that were pulling in the direction of um, more evangelical approaches, uh, but ultimately didn't win. So I don't know the 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 answer is is correct in except for uh, I have it as the 1600s, not the 1400s. Okay. But okay. So it's with a 1662 prayer book fight. Okay. Yes. Yes. That 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 right there. Uh, they were all, they're also called dissenters, um, which which sounds far more English. <laughs> <laughs> so I so I like that one uh, at least a little bit better. Uh, but, uh, um, what's interesting, uh, uh, there, there's a couple of things that are, that are interesting here. Um, uh, but one of the things that's interesting is that the nonconformists of different denominations actually joined together in the free church federal council and became known as free churchmen. So it's kind of interesting that, the, that, um, there were dissenters, nonconformists, uh, uh, throughout, um, um, Anglicanism, Baptist, Baptist, Congregationalists, yeah. Presbyterianists, Methodists, and Unitarians, uh, and they kind of formed their own uh, uh, nonconformist group. Which uh, I, th th this definition doesn't go into it. I, I don't believe the Free Churchmen lasted too long. Uh, they they ended up uh, splittering off uh, uh, quite. Uh, almost quite thoroughly, if I'm not mistaken, and, and frequently, and and frequently, and really uh, broke into other independent groups that kind of more mirrored the um, the denominations that they had originally split from. But <clears throat> what I found also very interesting here is um, the more famous independent nonconformist groups are Quakers. Mm -hmm. uh, which a lot of people have would would know, uh, Plymouth Brethren, which I'm not as familiar with. They're still around. Are they still around? Oh yeah. And the Salvation Army. Yeah. So. Yeah. So those three major groups are still very evident. I did not realize that the Salvation Army was a a a, a religious organization oh, or had huge had its. And see, that's it's just one of those things that I, I guess I just never thought about. I knew that they obviously do uh, charitable work, which puts them in line with uh, other you know religious organizations because that's you know, a lot of mm -hmm. what we do is is, is charitable work, but uh, not really um, aware that that was uh, that that was uh, necessarily a religious organization and definitely not aware that they were uh, a nonconformist group out of the, uh, the, the English Protestants. Right. And 
all, all three of those groups have a fascinating history um, of, of continuing to evolve, maybe is the best way to put it. Mm -hmm. and, and splinter off, have more splinters off from them and things like that. Um, but yeah, the Salvation Army, I mean, it, it, it's in the title, Salvation. It's not about earthly salvation. It's about eternal mm -hmm. salvation. And so that's one reason why their charitable work, the goal of it is to bring people to Christ. And mm -hmm. so they're famous, sometimes infamous, for the um, pray-before-you-get-benefits type of structure of caregiving. But I got to say, most of the Salvation Army individuals that I've worked with through the years on um, helping people who are homeless and stuff like that have been extremely generous and open-hearted about helping whoever came through the door as long as they had the resources. Mm. Um, and the Quakers, interestingly, in um, North America, Pennsylvania, you know, Pennsylvania is, is mm -hmm. the most famous colony, they got into conflicts with their North American North American um, co-citizens because of their pacifism when the American Revolution came along. Mm. And so many of them were seen to be not trustworthy. In some ways that has carried on through the, through the centuries that mm. they didn't stand up and fight at whatever period you want to name. Um, but also very, very open-hearted, very involved with the ending of um, slavery in the United States. And then they started to evolve yet again so that in the 20th century, there was quite a move towards the evangelical end of American Christianity. So now there are some um, meetings, as they're called, that are very traditional Quaker, silent meeting, no music, things like that, and others that look like any non-denominational Christian church. And, mm. that, and it's kind of funny to say it, well, maybe it's just funny inside church way, that the Quakers are in deep conflict over that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I can imagine. Uh, yeah. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so... Uh, um, a lot of a lot of um, a lot could be said of, that the, that branches off as a result uh, of this word, <clears throat> but initially yeah. I was drawn to it just because I think today it has more of a meaning. It's more of a social meaning, I think, for right. a lot of people. Right. Uh, Nonconformity to, um, and then you list something. Um, so um, um, yeah, it was huge. You know, I'm old enough to remember this, even though as a kid it was huge in the 1960s during the various mm -hmm. protest movements to mm -hmm. say mm -hmm. you refuse to conform don't don't conform that sort of thing mm -hmm. yeah so uh so uh, um for for those of you uh from the uh, from, from the 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 time of the 60s uh, where this word uh um got a lot of definition it does come from uh from the uh, church of england uh um in the 1660 restoration and then the 1662 act of uniformity um which, yeah basically again, what that meant was that now that there was a 1662 prayer book now that there's a new prayer book mm -hmm. you really got to use it you know as right. happens in most times of prayer book revision people kind of started to go their own way because mm -hmm. the older texts were becoming so um dated and this was the nope we really are 
going to all use the same prayer book and same liturgical motions, actions, rites. And so, yeah, the, the conflict came to a head when that new prayer book was put into effect. But in England, of course, the prayer book really was, and technically still is, a legal instrument. It's approved not just by church bodies, but by parliament. Mm. And so it was an act of um, near treason not to use the prayer book. Huh. Yeah. And because of that, <laughs> because of how hard it is to change the prayer book, uh, officially in England, 1662 is still the official prayer book. Because oh, wow. every time they've tried to change it, the, the church has come up with beautiful texts and uh, beautiful new prayer books, and Parliament has refused to pass it. Wow. So they have authorized services, but it's not the Book of Common Prayer. That's only, at this point, the 1662 prayer book. Hmm. Very interesting. So, for, uh, you know, 350 down the years. Rabbit hole. <laughs> 350 years have gone by and not a, not a new one has been agreed upon. Right. That's interesting. But, yeah, but they've had, uh, I want to say, two um, different, you know, uh, they, they reached the compromise of saying, okay, everyone can use the authorized services. And then I think it's even the authorized services have been have been um, revised once um, all this post World War II, but mm -hmm. canonically, uh, priests cannot get in trouble for using the 1662 prayer book. Well, I suppose it makes a lot of sense that a priest shouldn't get in trouble for using a prayer book at all. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, well, part of the fun of, of prayer or, books all over the world is that a prayer book, whatever the prayer book, the book of common prayer for a particular province of the Episcopal Church, of the Anglican Communion, of the Roman Catholic, um, mm -hmm. whatever the prayer book that's authorized replaces everything that came before it. So... In the United States, we've had, I want to say, four or five prayer books. I can't use the older ones. I have to use the 1979 prayer book. or And with huh. various authorized texts that have been authorized since then. So if I use the 1928 prayer book, I, I would get in trouble. Is there something in that older prayer book that is like uh, absolutely blasphemous or... Uh, or, or, or like would be worth getting in trouble for like i mean i'm trying Not to for think me. of anything i'm trying to think of anything <laughs> in there that would be like well actually yeah we obviously don't say that anymore <laughs> you right. know that it a lot of people see it as being much more um punitive in its mm. language and um it's and it, it's all thee and thou's sure. um and it's also this may sound bizarre but it's also short Every mm. every single service is shorter than the services than we that we have today. So uh, I wouldn't I wouldn't you, let any of the parishioners know that. that <laughs> well, I had, I had, <laughs> the the exception that the prayer book allows for that the 1979 prayer book allows for is for funerals, knowing mm. that pastorally when in 1979 there are people who had already made funeral plans using the 28 book, and they didn't want to put 
that, that family and that cleric in the position of saying, no, we can't obey great grandma's wishes. So mm. you know, 20 years ago, 30 years ago, uh, 25 years ago, parishioner came and said, okay, I want you to know I want the 28 prayer book service uh, for my funeral. I said, okay, that's, that's perfectly fine, Leo, happy to do it, but you should know your name will never be mentioned. And he was like, what? Mm. That, that's one of the idiosyncrasies of the 28 prayer book is that in the funeral service, no name of the deceased is ever used. Interesting. It's a general prayer set of prayers and readings reflecting on God's love and mercy, but it was part of the evangelical influence on Anglicanism coming out of the 1662 compromises was that if you prayed for someone at a funeral, you were telling God, God doesn't know how to do this well. Huh. What? Interesting. Yeah. <laughs> and so it was... Which is an interesting point of view. Because, yeah. I mean... There's a legitimacy to, to it. Yeah, yeah. Because you have to sit there and think about, okay, what is it that we're actually doing here? Uh, yeah. Then, yeah, okay. And there was a huge concern about the massive funerals that rich people were having. With... Uh huge ceremonials and tributes and honors and no eulogies were allowed no sermons were allowed it was simply about a eh, i think i did one 28 prayer book funeral it lasted 10 minutes uh because and that was the point is the person's dead they're in god's hands none of our business prayers for the people who are grieving prayers to remind us of god's mercy go home i might have to add this to my will <laughs> <laughs> 10 minutes i'm done i'm already gone go home well technically one could do a 79 prayer book just as briefly there's very little required uh um, ah, i got you but you're we you know, the name can be said as well as your family's names for the nah. prayers for the bereaved but anyway nah. that boy we went way down that rabbit hole yeah, we just sure did we sure so did. so speaking it of, does apply the- to all saints day it does. Uh, I, yeah, that's it. I was just going to say it actually. It, it actually uh, is not uh, completely uh, uh, divorced from uh, our, the, the the topic of this yeah. this coming Sunday. So, um, um, and we kind of kick it off. <clears throat> I don't know how often this happens in lectionary readings, uh, but we we kick it off with a a New Testament reading, uh, which is not the norm. Um, right, it's and, more of an Easter type of thing to do. Yeah, exactly. And um, uh, but uh, our first reading here is Revelation chapter seven, verse nine through seventeen. After this, I looked, and there was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, robed in white with palm branches in their hands. They cried out in a loud voice, saying, "Salvation belongs to our God who is seated on the throne and to the Lamb." And all the angels stood around the throne. And, excuse me, and around the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshipped God, singing, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Then one of the elders addressed me, saying, Who are these, robed in white, and where have they come from? I said to him, Sir, you are the one that knows. Then he said to me, These are they who have come out of the great ordeal. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. For this reason, they are before the throne of God, 
and worship him day and night within his temple, and the one who is seated on the throne will shelter them. They will hunger no more and thirst no more. The sun will not strike them, nor any scorching heat, for the lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd, and he will guide them to springs of the water of life, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Um, first things first, I think it's always worth revisiting when you read from Revelation. Tell us a little bit about this book uh, and who who is credited with writing it, at least, and then we can kind of go from there. <laughs> well, um, John is credited with writing it, mm-hmm. and it's doubtful that the the John of the Gospel of John and the letters of John is the same John, but it wasn't mm-hmm. a, just like today, it was not an unusual name. Um, but in his through Christian history, there have been people who want to combine all all of them. Uh, but lit, but in terms of structure and themes and all, it, it doesn't stand up to think they're all the same authors. Um, and it was written in the time of huge Roman oppression of Christians. The persecutions had really fired up, mm-hmm. and there was a great fear among Christians that they were all going to be wiped out and that, mm-hmm. um, and there, and some fear that that meant they weren't, um, on the right track spiritually, that maybe this whole Christianity thing was, was bogus. And even among people who were keeping the faith, there was a great deal of confusion about why this was happening to them. So mm-hmm. the book of revelation is a book about, how even though the Roman Empire seems like it's winning, it's not. And the mm. ult- and that they, the Romans are not going to last. This terrible period is not going to last. And that people, though they may not experience until after death, Christians continue to live under the protection of God. Mm-hmm. So one of the things that you've heard me say before is to remember it's the book of Revelation, not the book of Revelations. Right. And so it's one single revelation stated over and over and over with different imagery, mm-hmm. which is God protects the faithful. Yeah. Um, so in this instance uh, where, where God is protecting the faithful, the imagery is uh, God is the lamb. Um, um, and um, what's interesting, what's a little different um shouldn't say different. Um, it's interesting that there are other groups of people in this imagery. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's yeah. angels standing around the throne. There are elders for some odd reason. Uh, and uh, four living creatures. And I totally am blanking on it earlier in the chapter as to what those those four creatures were. Um, and since I'm running off the website, it's not easy to pull up while I'm stalling. Um, <laughs> But uh, uh, but all of that in addition to the great multitude. Um, uh, so there's there's a lot of there's a lot of characters in this story. Um, what uh, what's what's this one? Uh, uh, um, what, what what is this one here? I'm not sure what you're asking. I have to. Admit. So I, I sorry. Actually, uh, I was I was. 
yeah, I'm trying. You're, to you're trying to multitask. I understand. I'm trying to multitask, and it's terrible. Uh, so, so I guess let's start with uh, who are the who are the four creatures? Because I'm trying to get that to come up here. Um, I gotta admit, I'm not sure. But are those the four angels? Because because the the section I'm, before, I'm almost sure of it. Okay, the section before is talking about the 144,000 sealed, and there's a whole story that we could go into about uh, uh, the the there's 12,000 people. Uh, from all, uh, from each individual tr- of the twelve tribes that were um, um, who were sealed uh, here, but I think it's the four angels uh, standing at the four corners of the earth that are the creatures that then carry into uh, the the great multitude in white robes uh, section that we're reading from. I'm here. pretty sh- I'm pretty sure you're right. Okay, um, and then. Um, I don't recall other Revelation readings um, c- containing um, all of the, uh, the the elders as part of the story. There's there's lots of you know uh, characters and, and and things that uh, uh, pop up in the stories in Revelation, but um, elders is very is a very church. Uh, centered uh, um, reference is it not, or or elders more of the the um, the local like town elders kind of. I guess that'd be one and the same, wouldn't it? Yeah, it would be. Um, let's see. I'm just double checking myself. Um, let's. I'm looking at my Hebrew. Um, It's it's um, the word for priest. Okay, okay. <clears throat> and so definitely both Christian and Jewish. Gotcha. So uh, which which makes sense in that if if the point of this the story of this book is to say that um, no 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 uh, uh, don't fall away from from uh, the, the the teachings of the church. Uh, because of the Roman Empire, it's bigger than that, and and uh, we will prevail in the long run. I guess it does make sense to then inject uh, symbolism of the church back into the story, um, because that that's that's serving the purpose of saying like, no, 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 we the people and uh, this the church are a bigger thing than the Romans, right? And what whatever they could possibly do to us, um, yeah. And I, I do want to point out that in the Greek, that it, it can easily also refer to um, a Jewish priest as well, which mm-hmm. which goes along with what else um, the Book of Revelation says. So it's a a book that describes both Jews and Christians being together in heaven, mm-hmm. um, and I'm actually s- well beyond that too. But it's explicit about Jews and Christians. Gotcha. Um, I, I'm also struck, this might be a, a, a long shot here, but uh, verse 14, where it, it talks about, actually in 13, it talks about uh, one of the elders saying to me, uh, and I guess me in this in this story, it, John, John is identified, like self-identified? Does yeah. It, or, okay. Yeah. Um, who, are, who are these robed in white and where they come from? His response reminds me a lot of 
Christ's response uh, when being questioned about being the king of the Jews. Uh, you know, and, uh, and and the one that they are, that they talk about, sir, you are the one that knows. Reminds me a lot of like, so you say, uh, um, <laughs> like yeah. putting it back on the uh, on the questioner. I wasn't sure if that was uh, in any way intentional or, um, but it just seems odd to uh, odd to the story that uh, the, the question comes to the visionary here, and. Rather than answering, he goes, I don't know, you know that. <laughs> well, I don't it, know, you tell me. <laughs> <laughs> yes, in this translation, in most English translations, you could read it that way. Mm -hmm. um, but what's interesting in the Greek is that it's much more of a humble expression, where the literal translation is, um, I said to him, Lord of me, you know. Mm, okay. So, my okay. Lord, you know, or, you know, my Lord, you know, it, it starts with the giving that elder the, gotcha. the massive amount of respect. Right. And, and to say something to the tune of, like, uh, uh, who am I to, to, to tell you your own business? Right. Uh, right. Gotcha. Okay. Um, uh, yeah. And, 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 uh, the the answer, of course, is these are they who have come out of the great ordeal, which is not capitalized, of course, um, but um, would have then been referring, uh, or at least uh, uh, intentionally pointing towards uh, the the Roman persecution of Christians. Right. Um, um, although I think I think uh, um, modern there have been a lot of modern interpretations, uh, in my opinion, misinterpretations about the great ordeal being more the end of times um, right. concept. But but no, it's it's really supposed to be a book of the here and now. It's not mm. designed to be a prophetic book, even though that's how Christians have treated it for at least a thousand years. Not all Christians, but there have been subsets of Christians that have treated it as a end of times uh, prophecy since uh, a little before the year 1000 at least. Mm -hmm. um, and at every big monumentous occasion, like the turning of the uh, millennium in 1000, end of times movements spring up and people stand literally in bedsheets on mountaintops waiting for God to sweep them up. And you know, after a few days, they give up and go home mm -hmm. um, and become Jehovah's Witnesses and such. Um, or maybe with some day of us. One of the two of those started that way in um, going into the uh, 1900s. So, yeah, it's, it's not supposed to be a prophecy of something in the future. It's supposed to be a description of what's happening right now in heaven. Hmm. Mm -hmm. that, and so there are people today who are living through great tribulations and right. great ordeals. And Don't we know it? So this can be, uh, these, these words can be as reassuring to them mm -hmm. as it was the first hearers of them. And that's one reason why this text, part of not all of it, but most of it, is one of the options for a funeral text. Right. Okay. So, so particularly if someone's lived a, a life of difficulty or struggle or otherwise an ordeal, it it's very appropriate to read this at their funeral because it's a reassurance that now everything's okay for that person. Right. Uh, the hunger no more, thirst no yeah. more. Um, and uh, the, the lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd. Yeah. And remember um, that this is written to a people in a, fairly, a relatively arid 
area compared to the Midwest mm -hmm. of North America. So um, one of the great dangers was being killed by the sunshine. Right. And that's why it says the sun will not strike them. I mean, as we're in gloomy fall days in Indiana, that may sound like a, a punishment, but actually it is a mark of relief. Gotcha. Yeah. Um, I mean, I know that there's a ton that we could say about the Book of Revelation in uh, in general. Uh, you can go down a lot of rabbit holes on the different imagery and the words used, and 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 if I'm not mistaken, some of the uh, changes in translation over time have mm -hmm. also are, could, could be like a whole and are a whole study. Oh yeah, <laughs> um, uh, and it's for, fascinating. For there there are lots of really good scholarly works on it. There's also a lot of absolute trash on it. So it's unfortunately one of these books that. I give people caution about being careful what you're reading about this book mm -hmm. because like, some is worthless. And actually there was, it was one of the last, if not the last book to be approved for the new Testament because the, by the time the Bible was, the new Testament was gathered together. It was not as pressing to have a, a book about comfort in the time of persecutions. And so there are a lot of, um, church leaders who are saying we, we really don't need this anymore, hmm. um, but others say no, it's bound to come around again. So let's let's put it in there. And I mean, hmm. interesting. So it it's important to know that th that from the very beginning, people have have had ambivalent feelings about it, and so if it's not one's cup of tea, set it aside, never open it. There you go. There you go. Um, with that, though, we will move on to a different cup of tea. Yes. Um, but uh, sticking with one of the Johns. Uh, so it's interesting that you had mentioned that yeah. um, before. This is First John chapter 3, verse 1 through 3. Nice, short, sweet, and robust. Uh, so yeah. uh, see what love the Father has given us that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now. What we will be has not yet been revealed. What we do know is this. When he is revealed, we will be like him, for we will see him as he is. And all who have this hope in him purify themselves just as he is pure. Um, again, I like to do this. A little background of, of uh, the first book of John. Uh, written by... A John, um, but uh, do we? Who is the recipient or the intended target of the book? Is it a church? Is it an individual? Is it just a general writing? We don't know. <laughs> is the is the quick Solid. answer? Solid. Okay. Um, it's it's early, which a lot of people won't naturally realize because it's it's literally published fairly far into the New Testament. Um, but it's, it was written around 100, the year 100, probably. Okay. And, um, no one knows exactly where, but because of the various little hints given within it, it suggests that it was written in the area of Ephesus, which we know a little bit from book of Acts and Paul and, mm -hmm. um, was written probably to counter 
beliefs and practices and teachings that were beginning to arise regarding who Jesus was. Mm. That the what we would now call a Christological controversy. Um, they were big from the very beginning. Um, for, you know, probably fortunately for Christianity, whatever it was they were teaching disappeared, and so we don't know what the letter or the what the letter of John, first letter of John, was actually countering. But it does give us a very nice summary of an of an accurate view of who Jesus was and how it was being talked about very early in Christianity. Hmm. So, so that would that would inform why the tone is is like, uh, um, hey, people don't know us yet. They don't know they don't know God yet. They know, uh, uh, but but they they will. Um, so that that makes sense if this was written earlier on in the uh, in in the development of the church because it was still yeah. a spreading message, um, and not really one coming from say the, the the point of of uh you know revelation which is um no people definitely know who we are now <laughs> because yeah. we're getting persecuted all over the place and uh, put to death uh so this is that makes sense that the the language the, the tone of it is is completely shifted as far as like a, a you know hey the the our 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 at revelation as it were is yet to come uh, we, we have not yet been revealed, uh, and we will be, uh, because, uh, as we do our, as we spread this message, uh, we'll, we'll be informing people for the first time. Um, and part of the, a big part of the message of this work, and, and some people say it was a letter, some people say it was an essay, some people say it was a, a sermon preached, um, live, that it, this is the piece in the New Testament that over and over hits on God is love. And mm -hmm. that the way people will know we are Christians is by how we love others. Yeah. So that there's a behavioral component to the theology. And in that way, and that's one of the reasons why it's been so carefully preserved, because from the time it was written down, people said, you know, this, this really is capturing it. Hmm. And hmm. one of the reasons people within the within the text what John's describing what the author of John is describing don't yet see everything is because the Christians are not loving fully yet that there's a consequence to not being a loving person and that is that the rest of the world doesn't see that God is love and therefore doesn't see God accurately okay yeah 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 this also does um, um... I don't know if this is the beginning of the imagery of being children of God, um, but I think I've I've said it before on the podcast that uh, that uh, I, I do feel as though this is the a very accurate representation of what the relationship is like. Yeah, um, very parental, uh, and um, um, which makes a lot of sense for to, to explain our. Uh, development over time, <laughs> uh, and and growing into uh, uh, maturity as 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 his creation uh, in general, but um, I definitely see that also then very much as informs what you just said about uh, love being the um, strong through line here because that you know 
being a parent, that really is uh, um, the encapsulating term, right? I mean, it, it comes down to love uh, and this this uh, deep seated love for your own children, uh, and and that uh, that really, like I said, that really does seem to describe the relationship well. Is it is, is that is this probably timeline wise at least? Um, creating uh, uh, the the term "children of God," I know that it um, it appears in various constructions, really throughout. Well, almost throughout all Scripture. Mm -hmm. So this isn't the first time, but it's the it comes at a key time in the development of Christian theology, certainly. Okay, where I knew I knew that there was definitely the, you know the favoritism of. Uh, God to the, the you know the the Jewish people. I couldn't remember if they used that phrase in in Old Testament writing or not. It occurs in various forms. I'm not sure if you know, those three words come together, mm -hmm. but I'm pretty sure it does. They do. Um, okay. But the but the meaning of it certainly is a a theme that runs from from literally the creation. Mm -hmm. um, the and of course we always have to put the caveat that God as parent is the is the ultimate perfect parent, not necessary, not at all the deficient parents that some people experience, either mm. from their own parents or in their own parenting. So that's been the limit of that's been the limiting factor of the image at times is people saying, you know, my, my father beat me, abused me, etc. So the image of God, the father is destructive. Don't use it then use other images. It's right. that, that's one of the reasons why it's not part of um, a creedal statement or something that you have to say you're a child of God. Um, because for some people it doesn't work and hmm. there's, you know, thousands of other images out there that whichever one works for you, that puts you in a loving relationship with God, yourself, and the rest of creation, that, go with it. Hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, anything else about uh, the first book of John? Um, one thing to think about is um, the whole idea of being known mm -hmm. um, and revealed and all that is... Those, those terms are very, in a good way, very loaded. And in some ways they become so churchy that they lose their power. And so it's, it's important to know that these are, these are terms of intimate understanding. Mm. Um, that it's not as simple as, oh, yeah, they'll, they'll know my address and email. It's instead, you know, they'll, they'll, they'll get you from the very deepest right. of your essence and therefore they'll get a deeper grasp of who God is and vice versa. As people understand God better, they understand their fellow humans better. Hmm. Very, yeah. Yeah, so, yeah. So we don't get to play the game of Linus from Charles Schultz from Peanuts of I love humanity, it's people I can't stand. <laughs> <laughs> uh, a, a mantra that I, I, I think stands for some of us. Uh, <laughs> um, uh, that's funny. Um, 
All right. Well, then uh, let's move on to Matthew chapter 5, verse 1 through 12. Uh, And this will sound familiar to most everybody here. Uh, When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up the mountain, and after he sat down, his disciples came to him. Then he began to speak and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is is great in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Um, So one of the aspects of this, I think, that is uh, um, inferred incorrectly a lot is that he's talking to the crowds. And it seems to me the way this is worded is that he's talking directly to the disciples. Right. Um, so uh, this is really in, in more uh, instructional for his close knit group of, 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 of people, not the people who are coming to hear him speak. So this was not so much a, you know, kind of a sermon on the Mount kind of a, a style. This was like, Hey, you know, all these people who are down here, let me give you some information about how to minister to them. Um, it's kind of the vibe I'm getting. Yeah. Yes, and no, maybe. And it is the Sermon on the Mount, though. Right, right, right. Yeah. It is. But was this said, you know, do we get the feeling? Because this feels like more of a, uh, the way verse 1 and 2 read, it feels like it's more of an intimate conversation, not him shouting down the mountain. Yeah, you you are correct in that, okay. and yeah, and and as you said, most people are used to depictions of this or have or carry an uh, image of this that it's um, it is for all the big crowd gathered. But yeah, he, it's his disciples who have been summoned um, to be there, and uh, he's just gathered them. He's mm-hmm. just gathered the apostles and so they follow in the in the narrative of Matthew they walk around Galilee for a while and he's teaching and preaching um, and does healings and such and now they arrive at the place of the Sermon of the Mount and so they've seen they've been following Jesus a pretty short time they've seen some of the behaviors that he has that are miraculous they've heard some of his teaching and now he can give them a little bit of the advanced course hmm. and and what they'll be asked to pass along for generations to come now i'm i'm skipping ahead a lot uh but because uh, i was kind of curious to see uh, it starts as this uh private conversation uh, at least that's how it's it's uh, identified. I was trying to see where the Sermon on the Mount then turns outward as to being 
spoken to the people, and I don't see a reference to that at all. Uh, as I'm reading through uh, a nice little uh, website that I have here that also highlights uh, what Jesus is saying in red, so I can kind of wow, uh, good quickly, tool. yeah, qu quickly scan through and see where the narrative part of it is. Um, the rest of chapter five is him talking. The rest of all of chapter six is him talking and almost all of chapter seven is him talking until the very end where it says, and it came to pass when Jesus had ended these things, the people were astonished. Uh, that's not quite that. This is a King James version yeah. that I'm on right now, but um, uh, for he taught them as, as one having authority and not the scribes. So I don't, that's one thing that I'm kind of really kind of curious about is if he's talking to his disciples when it starts, when does it, when does it turn over? Because, you know, he goes into murder and adultery and, you know, all sorts of uh, different, different topics during this uh, Sermon on the Mount series. Um, is the, is the whole narrative him talking to his disciples and like the multitudes like sitting there going, what's he saying? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah, very much my Python ish. Yeah. Right. Um, what the way it happens in Luke, um, since you were looking at Matthew, I went over to look at Luke, which has mm -hmm. a very, very similar, um, sermon on the plain instead of sermon on the Mount, but very similar mm -hmm. content is that it doesn't say when he switches, but at the end, um, says when he, was finished speaking to the crowd dot, mm. dot 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 so it's not clear within luke when it shifted um mm. and i'll i'll take your word for it certainly that in matthew it never says he shifted um it, the gospel of thomas the non-canonical sayings gospel as it's called um has the beatitudes in it and they're all said simply to the disciples, to the apostles, mm -hmm. um, with some interesting uh, commentary on it that didn't make it into the Bible. Um, so it seems like, in all probability, the actual Beatitudes, at least, were said only to the apostles. Again, the advanced mm -hmm. course, hmm. um, rather than to the, to the crowd. And in Matthew, the crowd is a is a interesting um, feature that Matthew repeatedly uses at, to just show how many that that people were really really following Jesus, and then he does a switch. Matthew does a switch during Holy Week when the crowd turns on Jesus, and the hmm. same term is used throughout. And so if the only gospel you have is the gospel of Matthew. There's a strong sense of all these people going, oh yeah, oh yeah, oh yeah. And then when the Romans show up, they go, nope, 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 not us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah go, go ahead and crucify them. That really won't bother us in the least. Right. So the crowd's uh, with them all the way until yeah, until until the, the, the tires meet the road and then it's... <laughs> yeah. And so it's gone. In that way... Matthew's not interested in the, the historical description of when there was a crowd and when there was not. Instead, mm. he wants to build this theme that the crowd's got some of the very best stuff, 
uh, particularly in witnessing miracles, but that was not enough for them to not turn on Jesus. Hmm. And in Gospel of John, the crowds are almost always fickle and seldom um, stick around. So that in John, by the time Holy Week comes around, it's only a very small group of followers that are still with Jesus when he goes into Jerusalem. Right, right. And, um, and Mark, okay. everyone's stupid. <laughs> <laughs> Crowds, apostles, no one understands it. Right, and, they're all dumb. And there's no Sermon on the Mount, there's no Sermon on the Plain, there are no Beatitudes. Hmm. Now, uh, I, 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 was, I was reading through, uh, and just for the purpose of my own narrative, not based on anything at all, I, I imagine that verse 21 is where he turns to the crowd. Um, just because the topic becomes a little bit more general uh, and less poignant for the disciples to hear um, directly. Uh, so like, you know, the blessed uh, 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 sections here talking about uh, um, basically kind of identifying um, the things that, w that you should highlight and that the, the be drawn towards, so, you know, those who mourn, those who are poor in spirit, the meek. Uh, uh, then show mercy and be pure in heart, be peacemakers. All of this is uh, informative for the disciples. Uh, so is uh, verses 13 through 16, which are the salt and light mm -hmm. uh, of the earth. Also very informative for the disciples because um, it's, it's instructional for them as they are disciples of, of, of Christ. And then 17 through 20 is fulfillment of the law which again would have been more pertinent to, I think, the disciples uh, um, as they were involved in, uh, you know, all of this, uh, um, the, the religious context back and forth with the Pharisees and the, the, the uh, elders in the temple and everything. And just talking about the, uh, the, the religious fulfillment of the law would have probably had more weight for them than uh than the entire crowd but like i said then he goes in 21 talking about murder adultery divorce oaths eye for an eye love for an enemy a lot more general um conversations that would have had a lot of weight for um you know a thousand people two thousand people twenty thousand people uh surrounding the mountain um so for me that's that's narratively where i see the possible switch based on absolutely nothing other than the topic. Well, I'm going to, I'm going to play, um, devil's advocate. No, no, no. Quite the opposite. Um, weirdo spiritual guy. And okay. it, I was, I've now scanned upward. Um, and in chapter seven, verse 28, it says, now when Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were astounded at his teaching, for he taught them as having authority and not as their scribes. I think it's not, I think I can, I can say with accuracy that part of the spiritual task is not knowing where hmm. this was for the apostles and what was this and what parts of this was for the general crowd. Because it's, hmm. it's because now it's all for everyone. It's not like only a priest has to live out the Beatitudes. Right. Um, and said, That's every, true. everyone has to. 
and or as, as God dreams of us doing it. And so I think that part of the the spiritual task is as as one reads it over and over and over each time saying, where does this start to apply to me? Mm. And the more of the these chapters that we can say, yeah, this applies for me, the further spiritual development we're experiencing. Right. And it won't be linear. At times we'll, we'll backslide as the old saying goes. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I, th I think there's a reason why it's not clear where the shift takes place. And I, I think it's the spiritual um, um, reminder to us that yeah. this isn't just historical stuff. This is more importantly spiritual stuff that we're supposed to be taking into ourselves. Hmm. Yeah. I, 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 I like it. And I'm okay to end it on that uh, too, unless you have something else. No, I, I don't think I can top that. <laughs> <laughs> it was a nice bow that I then pointed yes. out. Yes. Um, <laughs> and ruined the surprise. Um, uh, yeah. Uh, well said. Uh, so this will... This will then uh, complete uh, this your podcast for November 1st, All Saints Day. Uh, and, wow, the first day in November. Um, uh, we do look to have uh, in-person in parking lot church service tentatively uh, this this week. Yes? Yeah. Um, uh, so. Uh, at 8 a.m. Um, 8 and 10 a.m. 8 a.m. and 10 a.m. There's the time change, so we'll be. Plenty oh. of light for the eight o'clock service. Yeah, 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 yeah. So uh, um, uh, be sure to uh, to um, uh, change those clocks uh, correctly, or otherwise you will be pretty early. I feel like I'm one of the few people in the world left with any clocks that need changing, because everyone just looks at their phones and such. But right. Yes, right, you yeah. are completely right. Yeah. Uh, so so definitely do that. We do have. Uh, a, a ton of things on our on our website hfec.org uh, if meeting in person is not your thing or if you're simply unable to uh, please check out uh, our uh, YouTube channel HFEC videos we are uh, still doing online worship uh, every Sunday uh, and putting it up there uh, uh, to, to be uh, obtained that way uh, and uh, if you as and always, also, if you have also any... the Facebook Facebook watch party at 9 a.m. Yep. There is a Facebook watch party, so find us on uh, Facebook, and uh, you can connect that way and watch the online worship service uh, along with uh, with a, a bunch of other uh, parishioners. Uh, and as always, if you have any questions uh, or comments, uh, you feel free to send that to us at uh, shortcut at hfec.org. Uh, and until next week, I'm Ben. And I'm Bruce. And we'll talk to you then. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.